FNM Radio. This week we go to Prague. The composer is Wolfgang Mozart and the year is 1787, which is when he wrote the first of his ten sets of German dances. Firstly, what is a German dance? Well, you know those elegant ballroom scenes in film versions of Jane Austen's novels in which everyone is lined up opposite, ladies on one side, gentlemen on the other, and everyone gets to take turns dancing a few measures with everyone else? That is not a German dance. German dance was the term used for a couples-only dance. One fella, one girl, no sharing. In the 18th century, the best-known German dance was the Lendler. But in the second half of the century, a new triple-time dance emerged, which came to be known as the Waltz. It got its name from the German verb Walzen, which means to roll. And by the end of the century, it had emerged as a dance in its own right. Now, it's important to note that Waltz is not a term Mozart ever used to describe any of his dances, but I think you can hear the emerging fashion in the dance music he wrote. We talked to pianist Nicholas Young about Mozart's set of six German dances, Kirschel 509. So this week on Anam Radio, we talked to pianist Nicholas Young, and he's playing some little-known Mozart. Nicholas, welcome to Anam Radio, and tell us about Mozart's German dances, Kirschel 509. Thanks for having me, Ophel. These dances are quite interesting. Uh, Mozart for pianists usually means the piano sonatas, but this is a bit of an exception where we've got these six dances that are sort of through composed, so they link one to another uh, without stopping in between. And they're actually a keyboard version of a set of six dances for orchestra. So the original version, I think it's under the same catalogue number, but it's better known as uh, a set of pieces for string ensemble rather than for piano. But funnily enough, there is a piano version, and the piano version, as far as we know, existed before the orchestral version. So Mozart wrote it first for piano, which is a bit of an exception to his usual practice. More often, he wrote for ensemble, and then possibly he reduced it down to a piano version for himself or for his students. That's very interesting. Now, as far as we know, they were written in Prague in 1787, and there are six of them, as you've mentioned. They played continuously. It's really a nine to ten minute dance track. Can you tell us a little bit about the Lendler and the Waltz and and what was happening in this period and the difference between the two and the minuet for that matter, which is also in triple time? As far as we know from the research, Mozart was in Prague during the week or the day uh, that Mozart wrote these six German dances or six Lendler. I would fathom, I guess, that Mozart wrote this perhaps to celebrate his final few days in Prague. This was during his first Prague visit. And we know that Mozart was quite the procrastinator, uh, as with some of his overtures to his operas, he wrote them very last minute. So it's quite possible that he wrote this on the spur of the moment, just as music for the final celebrations before he left Prague. Now, the Lendler is a sort of a predecessor of the waltz, the famous Viennese waltz. And the Lendler is sort of a, a less refined, a very folksy dance. Yeah, something very, very earthy, very something that um, a partner dance, so just like the waltz and uh, I believe the minuet as well. As far as I know, the Lendler has a lot more stomping or noisy shoes involved, so a bit of the more percussive element to it. 
the male dancer was expected to be quite flashy, quite show off to the dance partner. And then this was eventually refined as the dance hall, the ballroom, I guess we'd call it these days. As that became more popular over the 19th century, that's when the waltz kind of refined those elements and made it more stylized, more polished, perhaps. And then, of course, we have all the great waltzes of Richard Strauss and Ravel, um, famous La Valse. I think it's important to know that this is music definitely to be danced to, isn't it? It's not stylized dance music for the concert hall like La Valse or, or like Richard Strauss's Rosen Cavalier waltzes, for instance. This is music actually for people to get up and dance to. I love how you called it a dance track, like a nine minute dance track. Times really haven't changed, have they? People need music to dance to. Mozart churned it out just like everything else he did and managed to do it so wonderfully well. And this is real dance music. This was music that was written functionally for an actual social purpose. And it was intended to be danced to, which I think goes a fair way to explain why this set of dances is written the way it is. It's very much written in three, four, triple metre time. And it almost gets, unlike his other piano works, the, these dances almost sound like a little, for lack of a better word, repetitive. It's very consistent. The tone doesn't change a whole lot through the six dances. Uh, it's very predictable, unlike the instrumental music. And I think the, the very simple reason for that is that this needed to be more predictable because people needed to dance to it. And one of the ways that Mozart keeps interest musically is by changing the key. And I, I was interested to see the sequence of keys because it doesn't follow any logic, really. We start in D, we go to G, well, that makes sense. But from there, it goes to E flat, F major, a major and finishes in C major. So it makes a very interesting tonal progression. It does, and I think that's maybe one of the few ways that Mozart can introduce a little bit of dramatic interest across the whole set of six continuous dances without resorting to more of the typical procedures of you know, sonata form or ternary form or what have you. Now, Mozart doesn't really give the pianist many clues. For instance, there are no tempo markings, which means that you have to try and decide the character of each particular dance. How did you go about that in learning this piece? That's definitely a good point. And the lack of those tempo directions actually is a joy in itself as well. It does mean that we get that freedom to interpret and to make decisions and the freedom to make slightly different decisions each day. A bit like a work by Bach where the tempo indications aren't always there, then we can kind of experiment a little bit each time. We might try, you know, the first dance we might try a little bit faster then the second dance maybe pull it back a bit. Maybe try and group the dances differently each time. It was quite a while ago since I performed this work and I just recall one of the key decisions in preparing the work was how to draw some kind of structure over these six dances and part of that was trying to group them together. So you try maybe grouping, maybe the first three dances kind of felt more like emotionally they had some kind of affinity and then there's sort of a very big change or some kind of opportunity to make a contrast uh, for the next group. And it's just fun trying to sort of come up with different ways and different solutions to making this piece performable and interesting in a concert setting. Well, Nicholas, thank you so much for rediscovering this really delightful music and bringing it to our attention. And thanks for talking to us on NAM Radio. No worries. Thanks for digging this up again and hope all your listeners enjoy. Thanks for listening to Anam Radio. Our next podcast will feature more piano music, the exquisite and fascinating Barcarolle of Friedrich Chopin, played by Adam McMillan. Thanks for joining us. Thank you.